A good mineral program for your cattle is proving to be a good return on investment if you use it. The best mineral in the world isn't doing much if it's not eaten, but also the best mineral in the world isn't doing much if it's still sitting on the pallet in the shed. Dr. Jason Russell with ZenPro joins me today as we talk about where and how you can see the value in a mineral program for your cows, as well as those forgotten animals on the place, the bulls. And we're talking a few months before, right? Spermatogenesis takes 61 days. We need to be improving mineral to those bulls long before that. Plus, a great conversation with Casey Corrales about the American Akushi breed of cattle and the market demand we're seeing for Wagyu beef on this episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Welcome you here to another edition of the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. We're glad to have you joining us. Coming to you all the way from the northeast corner of Wyoming, where we've yet to see a stem of green grass show up just yet. <laughs> and uh, I was talking with meteorologist Don Day. In fact, we'll talk with him at the end of our program about these cooler temperatures that we're seeing. And it is stifling the growing season a bit, but nevertheless, it is also bringing moisture. And we'll hear what the forecast is for the next uh, seven to ten days out when he joins us here here in the latter part of our program. But for today's show, we're going to be coupling, uh, covering just a couple different topics as Dr. Jason Russell with ZenPro will be joining us. He is their technical beef nutritionist, but we're going to be talking about a mineral program. And uh, if, you, if you know me at all, I have always touched a lot in our programs about uh, less is more and really trying to be very uh, economy-minded and strategic in the inputs that we put in our livestock. And today, that focus is not any different, but we're going to be focusing on this from the mineral perspective. And and I can tell you my perspective on it has changed over the years. And we're going to talk with Dr. Russell about the importance of, of looking at a good mineral program for your cattle. So be sure to join us for that. Also later in our show, Casey Corrales, she is the executive director of the American Akaushi Association. She'll be joining us as we're going to be talking about the Akaushi breed. And of course, we have definitely seen uh, uh, the interest in, uh, Wagyu beef out there. We're going to talk about Akaushi. It's what they're doing as a breed association. But also, if you're wondering when I say Akaushi and Wagyu, is that the same thing? Well, well, we're going to talk about the difference between Akaushi and Wagyu, uh, those two different terms as they are. And so a lot to be learned here today is in our interview with Casey Corrales with the American Akaushi Association. Right now, thank you to our sponsor of this segment, the American Simmental Association and they really have worked hard to provide some very fundamental changes to help ranchers move their operations forward, providing pedigree knowledge with actual performance records and now some very advanced genomics, which we've talked about here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. They're providing more predictability to you so that you can make management decisions that help put profitability back to you as the rancher. Sim Genetics, profit through science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Well, the Captain Tim O'Byrne is back at the desks and working. In fact, the latest issue of Working Ranch Magazine, I have it in my hot hands right now and looking forward to getting through that. But here he joins us today for this week's edition of Tim's Two Cents. Hey, Justin. Hey, everybody out there in Working Ranch Radio Land. 
I've always looked at Canada's beef production community as being just a little bit ahead of us. They have a different structure up there. They're a little bit tighter community. And um, they've come up with some pretty innovative things over the years. But this is kind of surprising to me. So I'm reading uh, out of the Canadian Cattlemen Magazine, uh, Lisa Gunther, she's the editor, and she writes in her commentary, Are We Ready for FMD? And it's quite surprising because she states here that um, the Canadian cattle feeders, along with the rest of the beef industry, have been asking for a FMD uh, vaccine bank for years up there in Canada. They've been petitioning for that in Canada, and apparently it hasn't come through. In theory, she uh, reports, Canada has access to a North American vaccine bank located in of all places, the United States. However, there aren't enough doses in that vaccine bank to handle outbreaks in both countries, and the Americans have established their own vaccine bank. So apparently here in the United States, we are ahead of the curve when it comes to FMD uh, should an outbreak occur here in the United States, and Canada is not. So Justin, let's dig down into that a little bit, see what uh, they have to say. Back to you. Thanks, Captain. And a while back, he and I had visited a little bit about doing an interview with the Canadian Cattlemen's Association. We're working on trying to get that set up to talk about animal traceability. And of course, foot and mouth kind of falls into the, that same uh, conversation as well. So oh, hoping to bring that to you at some point here down the road. Well, stay with us. When we come back, we're going to be talking about mineral program for your cattle as Dr. Jason Russell joins us. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. You know, big cows come with big feed bills, which is why smart genetic selection can pay off in your cow herd. Did you know Simmental-influenced cows are an average 74 pounds lighter at maturity than Angus-sired counterparts, according to a recent U.S. Meat Animal Research Center study? Now, while Simmental is sized for more efficient gains, 20-year genetic trend lines also show the breed offers reliable calving ease, early growth, and cow longevity. That's a balanced herd built for profit. Sim Genetics, giving you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. As we head now here into a topic of looking at a mineral package, a mineral program for our cattle. I know for a lot of us, uh, or the cattle industry as a whole, a lot of us are in different production cycles. Some have maybe had calves on the ground for a month or two. Others still a ways off. But nevertheless, it is a a part of our our ranching management program that we need to have a good understanding of. So joining me today to talk a little bit more about that, pleased to have with us Dr. Jason Russell. He's the technical beef nutritionist with ZenPro. And Dr. Russell, thanks for joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin, I appreciate the opportunity. Well, Dr. Russell, before we get into some of the specifics of this time of the year and what a lot of us ranchers are dealing with, some various things, I want to go first into into looking at this because when we when we look at our a mineral program out there, I guess as you, you and I were talking before we went on air, I kind of subscribe to the theory that you know some is good 
more is not always better. And I think we, when it really comes to our down into our input costs of our, of when we're working in our cattle, that we need to be very strategic in what we're doing. And I, I feel that mineral falls into this category of really being strategic in what we're doing. And so with that in mind, how do we approach as, as ranchers looking at the right method or the right step in developing or looking at a mineral program for our cattle? You bet. I mean, there's a few things to think about. Obviously, we know that when we think about from a mineral standpoint, availability of mineral and, and levels, concentrations of those minerals vary in our forages. They vary seasonally. They vary by species. And they'll vary, of course, by geography. Uh, you know, what's so important is just to work with, with a local representative, you know, from the feed company where you're, where you're uh, getting your supplements, hopefully an individual that is familiar with the unique challenges and unique opportunities that, that your forage base can provide to your herd, and then look to just create or, or uh, utilize a supplement that can complement your forages appropriately. Mm-hmm. One of the things, uh, Dr. Russell, is there's a lot of just generic mineral packages that you know you can go and you can you can purchase usually from your feed store and then they'll say well or do you want this because it's more dialed into our geographical area and that's something that you and I were talking about before is that a lot of times we do need to have some mineral that's dialed into our geographical area and so from that mindset where do we where would we go other than maybe the folks I, I guess I'm a little sometimes I'm a little nervous with asking the guys that are selling me the stuff for <laughs> for the what they what they want because you, you just kind of figure well maybe they're just trying to sell their product so from from a aspect of us stepping back and saying okay what is if for our geographical area what are we lacking or what do we need where, where's a good resource for that you know, there's a lot of good resources out there and, and you know, we're talking geography, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I'm thinking about uh, different geographies, I'm going to look a little bit to our to our extension resources within our state. A lot of really great uh, extension resources across the country that can really provide a lot of great resources. They're very objective. And I think obviously it's it's all about pulling in information from more than one source. So lean on those extension resources, a lot of good websites out there but then also utilize your your local feed representatives as well and collectively you know should be able to really kind of compile a thorough view of of how you can complement your forages and and give your herd the best nutrition possible. Mm-hmm. As we were talking before we started on air here a little bit, we, we were talking about the fact that when we get into being very strategic with our mineral programs, we do need to take that time to figure out what we are lacking in there. Um, but at the same time, we can also spend so much time uh, if we're not careful, you know, kind of as they say too, you're spending a dime to save a nickel. Sometimes with our mineral programs, do you feel like that's something that we need to be cautious of so that we're so that we're we're not going too overboard with some of that kind of stuff and 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 just utilizing the resources that we have exactly so i mean we think about our macro minerals when i think about forage analysis to me macro mineral analysis uh, periodically can be worthwhile certainly if we're bringing in a lot of purchased hay if we can pull a representative sample I'm going to look at, at our macro minerals, which are our calcium, our phosphorus, magnesium, see where we need to be there. Again, work with, with our local feed representative to uh, determine what supplement would complement that and meet, meet needs not only for 
you know, adequate performance, but also for optimum performance, where I think we lose the forest for the trees is if we're doing frequent forage analysis and trying to fine tune a mineral program, I'm afraid we, we oftentimes, certainly given the average cowherd size in the U.S., by the time we look at the cost of mineral over a year relative to the cost of forage analysis, if we're not careful, we can spend more money on forage analysis to fine tune a mineral program to what we perceive as our specific needs than we're actually saving by utilizing a, just a good, well-balanced mineral. Mm-hmm. Let's get more specific into this time of the year. And I'd visited with you a couple months ago down in New Orleans and we were at the cattle convention. And at that particular time, of course, there was we were still a ways off from, you know, maybe just a few folks calving around the country. But at this point in the in the year, we're going to have guys that are all across the board uh, in terms of where they're at in their production cycles with them, them calving, been on, calves on the ground for a couple months to some maybe a month or so out from getting calving. Let's first look at mineral through pregnancy. Uh, and look at that stage because then we'll get into the next phase after those calves have been born. When we look at that, there's been, as you and I talked down in New Orleans, a lot of study, a lot of research done in that third trimester nutrition and how important that is. But let's just kind of, let's let's maybe go a little bit further than third trimester and let's talk about a good mineral program during pregnancy of these cows. Sure. So, you know, some of the things we talked about you know, when we look at some of the research that's been done over the past uh, few years here, it's really gotten a lot of attention that, you know, the fetal programming concept, um, as well as from Zenpro standpoint, the generation nutrition concept, what impact can trace minerals have fed to that, to that dam on the, uh, ultimately on the offspring performance and health um, down the road. You know, we've, we've seen some cool work out of Oregon State just a few years ago feeding that cow through that last trimester, like you mentioned, and we see improvements in in long-term calf health, calves that stay healthier all the way through the feedlot, calves that wean heavier. And that was just from mom's nutrition. That was from providing those cows during that last trimester with a better source of zinc, of manganese, of copper, and cobalt. Uh, You know, stepping uh, further into a pregnancy from that study, uh, most recently here, just in the past couple of years, uh, some work at a Texas A&M University, feeding those cows during the middle and the last trimester. And the real focus was what impacts can maternal nutrition have on uh, female development mm-hmm. in terms of uh, female offspring, mm-hmm. if we look at those replacement heifers. And what was super cool was we saw heifers that reached puberty 19 days earlier, 19 days younger, almost a full cycle when their mothers were fed uh, Zenpro's complex trace minerals, Zenpro Vale 4. And so really what it told us was that we can have impacts not only on on weaning weight and on health, but we can actually impact long-term reproductive development by improving mineral source to those pregnant females. Mm-hmm. You know, that's interesting because there's a, lot, there's a lot of dollars in that when you say if it's a 19 days about, you know, that it can, that you've seen that. Um, I mean, if you figure pound and a half a day a gain on a calf, I mean, that's a pretty significant difference in a weaning weight on a calf. I find it interesting when you're talking about that, Dr. Russell, because, and this is not necessarily in, in your specific area, but it is a topic that is big in the cattle industry right now, right now, and that is some genomic and genomic testing. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we 
uh, DNA tested about 100 head of our own heifer calves. And I find it interesting because we can get all of that genetic information, but at the same time, that doesn't necessarily dictate what those animals are going to do. And when you talk about some of the things through that nutrition as calves and move through life in their first year with a good health program, that's going to probably help to exploit what your knowledge is on this genomic testing. And I know this is something we didn't necessarily talk about, but I, I find there's some interesting sort of tie there a bit. Well, and I think it really gets to, uh, you know, I mentioned that almost a full cycle uh, younger at puberty. Mm-hmm. And the reason, you know, at, at, at first glance at surface level, it's like, okay, cool. They hit puberty earlier. But if we take a step back and we go, okay, what are the ramifications of that? Yeah. And what's exciting to me is, you know, we can put more selection emphasis on other traits besides just picking the biggest and the oldest, you know, the heaviest uh, heifers for our replacement pin. If we've got females that are hitting puberty earlier, we can dig a little deeper into that heifer pool. And I think that's what really gives us a lot of opportunity, as you're talking about, where we've identified females that are genotypically more superior. And now if we also are able to utilize those females and keep within our scheduled breeding season because those females are pubertal and they are cycling, I think those really work hand in hand. And then you mentioned health. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. anything we can do to keep all our healthy our cattle healthy, especially those high-value genetics, we especially want to keep those individuals healthy. And if we can do that through nutrition rather than, you know, like you said, getting cattle brought to the chute or, or roped for treating, it's all the better. Yeah. You bet. Dr. Jason Russell, he's a technical beef nutritionist with ZitPro, is my guest here today. We have one more segment with Dr. Russell. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about that prevention element that comes uh, that they feel uh, is important with a good mineral program. And also, I know for a lot of folks, last year was pretty droughty for different uh, for folks. Uh, we were in drought a couple years ahead of that. And as our and as we move into different uh, times of the year, and we're dealing with more wetter climates climates or, or drier situations, how do we adjust or could should we be adjusting and what should we be looking at? We're going to talk about that when we come back here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Set up the next generation for a productive lifetime with Zinpro Avela 4. Achieve productive success in your cows with 20% increased conception rate and a 16-day tighter calving interval. Calves from Cows supplemented with Zinpro hit the ground running with improved immunity and 28 more pounds at weaning. Allow your cows and calves to perform to their full potential with Zinpro Avela 4. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today is Dr. Jason Russell, technical beef nutritionist with ZinPro. Dr. Russell, in the first segment, we were talking a, a bit about uh, that third trimester nutrition on these pregnant cows. Let's get into post-pregnancy, and, and there's a lot of other things that come with that. Because when we're, and I'm not going to talk just cows. I'm going to talk our herd in general. It could be some yearlings that we're putting out on on grass, or or whether it's these cows that we're trying to get ready to go for. Breed back uh, but when it comes to this it's pretty pretty important that we get these cattle uh, especially in a, in a time of year where they're typically more moisture in the ground and the health wise of our herd has a lot to do with what these cows have in terms of trace mineral absolutely yeah i mean especially as we get into freeze thaw cycles and we start to look at foot rot concerns and you know we've seen over the course of several studies and, and you know, countless anecdotes over the years that 
especially zinc, can play such a crucial role in integrity of that hoof and integrity of that skin. And so maintaining a better source of zinc in those animals through nutrition can really help to fend off some of the challenges of foot rot, of hairy heel wart, and other issues that we deal with because health starts from the ground up. Mm-hmm. with our animals mm-hmm. of course you know in certain areas uh having some uh, uh, ability for these cows to get to uh, magnesium as well i know in our part of the country if they're on too much green grass too quick uh, we can have some issues there and i mean just the balanced program in general is pretty critical absolutely yeah i mean it's trace minerals but it is it's macros like magnesium as well recognizing the the challenges we get into in a lush forage situation and a lactating female uh, animals that just are not able to to mobilize enough magnesium in time and we get some of those tetany symptoms so you know definitely crucial to work with the the local feed representative and look at options uh, mm-hmm. when tetany is a is a concern look at options for getting a higher a high mag as we call it mm-hmm. mineral in in preparation for preventing those sorts of challenges you bet something that we talked about at the break and and when we first started talking about our, our doing a program here on minerals it wasn't anything that we necessarily but we pinpointed on but it came up in our discussion at break and i thought it was really really relevant because uh that is the the mineral program and making sure our bulls are adequately taken care of i mean for a lot of different reasons whether it's you know getting on it right now and get them tested but at the same time the last thing we want for the amount of dollars that that some of these some folks are spending on bulls is to look out there after they've been out there for 15 20 days and they're carrying a front right foot or a front left foot and you go out there and you see it swelled up to only to see that oh well we forgot about our bulls yeah, I mean, it's on the one hand, it, I'll say it's easy to forget, right? The bulls are only four to five percent of our cow herd, but at the same time, you know, this goes without saying, they're fifty percent of the breeding equation. And so, you talk about an automatic ROI in terms of investments in a quality mineral program. If we do a good job of simply getting getting a good mineral, um, whether that's in a loose mineral, a tub, a liquid, in a TMR, whatever that may be, out to our bull battery. And we're talking a few months before, right? Mm -hmm. Spermatogenesis takes 61 days. We need to be improving mineral to those bulls long before that. But if we can get a good mineral program in front of our bulls in preparation for that breeding season, not only are we bringing in, you know, a better quality zinc that's going to improve that that hoof and uh, hoof integrity and improve mobility of those bulls, but also we talk about sperm motility. I mean, work has been has been done in an academic setting showing that if we can improve mineral to those bulls prior to summer breeding and the heat and uh, heat stress associated with summer breeding, we can help to better maintain sperm motility. So, I mean, to me, it, I think a lot about trace minerals, both not only in the foot, but also in the motility of, of our sperm to get those cows settled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, and, and you're right. I mean, it, it is something I, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I've, <laughs> you know, you have the bulls off in another pasture. You don't think anything of it. They're gaining weight. They're looking good, but they're not necessarily having to work hard out there. And the thing that's frustrating is once they've been through that and maybe that, that foot rod has gotten quite a ways down the road before you've caught it, you've just limited the lifespan of that bull. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we might get them recovered, but we're never going to quite have the same athlete that we uh, that we were hoping to have mm-hmm. to cover the uh, 
the amount of miles and, and the number of cows that we had expected. Mm-hmm. I want to real quick touch on just something else, and, and we don't have to go too deep in it because I know it's it's a little bit outside of what we initially talked about. But I, you and I talked at the break or, or before we started on air here today. There's a lot of different parts of the country that are coming out of extreme situations, uh, whether it was drought, um, probably not too many were extreme wet uh, across the country last year, but they were definitely a lot of drought areas and areas that had been droughty the years prior to that. When you look at those kind of situations as a producer, is there something we need to be aware of or something that could change because we've come out of those extreme situations? You know, painting with a a broad brushstroke, anytime our forage quality is poor, it's safe to assume that by and large, mineral availability is also is also poor. You know, we get into more mature forages, we're going to see, you know, more lignification, which, you know, just essentially tells us that we've got poor uh, forage digestibility. But that's not only, you know, talking about macronutrients, we're, we're tying up or holding on to trace nutrients to a greater degree. And so when we talk about, you know, coming out of out of challenging forage environments like that, really want to that is an appropriate time to go ahead and pull a forage analysis see what we're looking at and really lean on those resources that we talked about earlier to uh balance out a program that will that will help to shore up any inadequacies mm-hmm. in our forage base mm-hmm. dr russell we we talked a little bit at the beginning about leaning on these on these resources or finding some of these resources let's go back to that real quick i know with zenpro you have the avail of four products and there's a lot of good partners out there that you guys work with that can help folks in in moving the direction and really getting what we talked about here today anal, you know analyze and and geographical elements and and come together with a program that's going to help what they've got going on you bet. So certainly we do our best to, to provide a lot of different resources related to, to trace mill nutrition and, and other production aspects at zinpro.com. That's Z-I-N-P-R-O.com. That's also going to uh, give you the opportunity to uh, identify the, the account manager or sales representative in your area that can help you to find a local feed dealer that carries Zinpro Vale 4 and other Zinpro products. But certainly we've got a lot of great partners, both national uh, feed manufacturers as well as uh, more localized manufacturers that carry Zinpro products, that put them in into supplements at the full research proven rate. Um, so yeah, a lot of opportunity out there to, to find a Zinpro product that complements your forage and, and serves your herd well. Mm-hmm. Real quick here, and I know we're a ways off from, it just seems like we're, you know, we, we've spent a lot of our focus here today talking about the spring of the year, but you know, really for a lot of us, we're working 12 months out. So we're, it's, it's not, it's not out of the question to be looking at fall. And then we're back into what we had talked about with that, uh, that nutrition program through pregnancy. So you talked about some of your partners and mixing it in some things in, in some different supplements that you have expand on that just a little bit more, because I think we also, like I said, in a, in a point where we're thinking further out than just maybe the next couple months, we're also thinking about what our feed costs are going to be next fall as well. Yeah. And Justin, as you, as you and I had, had uh, chatted about off the air. It's really about being strategic. If we utilize a, for example, a mineral form that is better utilized by the animal, we don't have to feed as high a levels. We can really try to pinpoint the amounts that are going to help fuel optimum performance. But we also, you know, you and I talked about consumption. <clears throat> the most expensive 
you know, supplement in the world is the one that's overconsumed. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, we need to make sure that we're providing, if we provide a, you know, an, an ingredient like Avela 4 that has a lot of research behind it, that's all well and good unless that supplement's not consumed. Um, so it really is crucial to, to not only identify in your area what, you know, what supplements you can get out to those animals um, on a regular basis, on a prescribed basis, or it's also, you know, keeping some records. Are your cows consuming, say, a, a loose mineral or a tub on average at the rate they're supposed to, to get the prescribed amount of nutrients in there and, and ingredients like available for? The best mineral in the world isn't doing much if it's not eaten, but also the best mineral in the world isn't doing much if it's still sitting on the pallet in the shed because it never made it out to the mineral feeder. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Russell, I sure appreciate you joining us. Before we head out, just some final comments from you. You know, my big thing is, and I think I've probably already hammered on it quite a bit, good minerals are, are great, but if they sit in the shed and they don't go in the mineral feeder, if those tubs sit on a pallet in the shed and they don't go out in the pasture, they're not doing a lot of good. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems so simple, but <clears throat> but it's a, it's a challenge, and it, it's a, a challenge seasonally, right? We get yeah. into hay season. We get into <laughs> busy times of the year. Yeah. Um, a good recommendation is at least allocate one person on the operation to be in charge of that just to ensure that that we're getting supplement out to those cows that we're you know that's a big part of strategy right it's just making sure that these supplements that that we've invested in that we've both time and research as well as dollars that we're getting out to the herd and and then i think finally just emphasizing that uh gosh minerals are needed throughout the year mm-hmm. you know so often we talk about breeder minerals but at the end of the day there is not a time in that cow's year in her annual cycle that she's not preparing for some sort of upcoming stress, whether she knows it or not. Mm-hmm. And so where we're able to geographically, it's crucial to really keep mineral in front of our cow herd year round. You bet. So the investment of good mineral feeders is <laughs> so probably something to be, be aware of too. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Dr. Russell, again, I want to thank you for joining us. Appreciate having you on the program here today. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate the opportunity to chat. Dr. Jason Russell, technical beef nutritionist with ZenPro, joining us here today to talk on this program of minerals. And and I, I will tell you for myself personally, this has been a subject that I've evolved with over the last several years. And I, and if you've listened to my program much at all, you know that I tend to probably be a little bit more of a minimalist and, and wanting and pushing folks to really analyzing what you're putting into your cattle herds and, and trying to figure out to see, are you getting that return for what you're putting in? Are you getting that return on investment? And as I've evolved over the last several years, and I've tried to educate myself and also having conversations with other producers that I highly value their opinion because they're running their ranch in a profitable uh, mindset. The mineral programs is something that has come back and, and kind of surfaced a little bit. And so I encourage you to do your own research, to to look about that. As Dr. Russell was mentioning, visit with your local extension agent, your local professionals as well, and develop and looking at that. And again, I mean, really, as, as he said, one of the worst things you can do is to get on a mineral program and to see overconsumption going on, or it's still sitting in the barn in the bags and not utilizing it all. So uh, some good 
advice from Dr. Russell on that. And I encourage you to really take this into consideration. You know, we talked about the cows, the bulls as well. Some really good points there that we talked about. So keep that in mind and encourage you to do your own research on this. Again, if you want to find out more, you can go to zenpro.com. And within that website, there's a tab for beef as well. So uh, a good topic here today that I think values some, uh, some time and consideration on your behalf. Well, stay with us. Coming up after the break, we step into the breed spotlight as this week we focus on the American Akaushi breed. Yeah, if you've ever wanted to know more about this breed of cattle that originated out of Japan, well, stay with us. Casey Corrales with the American Akaushi Association joins us as we find out more about this breed of cattle. We'll be back on the Working Ranch Radio Show after this. Don't keep your cow-calf herd data in a notebook. Keep it in the cloud with Performance Ranch and say so long to decoding handwritten notes. Performance Ranch is an easy-to-use app that simplifies record-keeping and makes decision-making easier. Keep track of herd inventory, monitor health records, and manage costs all from your iPad or iPhone. Group texting important herd data? Delete it. Use Performance Ranch instead. Go to performancelivestockanalytics.com and be the first to know when Performance Ranch is ready to launch. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Glad to have you joining us for our program today as we head now into a special feature today in this segment called our Breed Spotlight. We haven't done these in a while, but I always find it quite interesting. And today is no different because we're going to be learning about uh, a breed of cattle that uh, I know some folks might have a little bit of familiarity with, but probably not as much as as uh, as we do, do other breeds. And it's the Akaushi breed. And joining us today is Casey. Casey Corrales, who's the executive director of the American Akaushi Association. And Casey, thanks for joining us here today on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Well, thank you, Justin. It's very much a pleasure to to visit with y'all today a little bit about the Akushi breed. You bet. And I'm excited, too, because I think there's really a, uh, some interest. I mean, it, it's something probably people have heard. You guys have done a pretty decent job of marketing and getting the name out there. But at the same time, people have are not totally familiar. Now, we are hearing a little bit more and more these days. There's a little bit more marketing out there in terms of, and I'm going to use this phrase, Wagyu, but we'll talk about the difference of that in just a a bit, but first of all, let's talk about the American Akaushi breed and touch on it briefly about kind of how it got started and, and where this started here in the U.S. Yeah, so um, in 1994, the Foundation Akaushi breeding herd was brought to the United States from Japan. So yes, Akaushi is a Japanese breed of cattle and a small set of females and bulls were actually brought over. And what grew the foundation herd or what, what has gr- grown into the American Akushi is that just embryo transfer since it was mm-hmm. such a small group that came over. And from that embryo transfer, we were able to bring out the genetic lines through the Tamamaru, Shigamaru, and Hikari lines and cross those with the the different foundation females that came over in which now we were able to now incorporate some judo and rushal um, into those breeds to make sure we keep our inbreeding coefficients down. So yes, a very small group that came over, a very nice set of females and bulls that came over, which 
it has grown into what we are today. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I would encourage you, we're not going to get into the full detail of the history, but I, I will tell you, I read through the history of how the Japanese cattle came into the U.S., and it is very fascinating. And I would encourage folks, if you want to find out more, go to their website, read more about it, akushi.com. Now, we're not done yet, though, because here's here's the thing, too, uh, Casey, because I know when we start talking about this, uh, the, the really what people in the frame, frame of mind where people are at here today uh, is they think Wagyu. I mean, we're, we're seeing some marketing through some fast food companies in, re- in regards to that. We're seeing some of these high-end restaurants with that. So then let's look then at the difference. When we say Akaushi and Wagyu, there is a difference there. So explain what we're talking about there. Right. So Wagyu just means Japanese cow. Mm-hmm. There are four breeds that fall under the Wagyu umbrella, which are the Akaushi, the Blacks, which are Krohishi, Japanese polled and Japanese shorthorned. Mm-hmm. Those are the, the four main breeds that fall under the term Wagyu. Okay. So it, to, when I was looking at that, it's kind of similar when we talk about, and I know you're a livestock judger from way back, so you know what I'm talking, and, and a lot of folks will know this. When we talk British breeds, that's talking about a certain area of country, continental breeds, similar right. as you just explained there. Wagyu is really the origin of where the cattle came from, correct? Correct. That is correct. Yes. So the Aku, she came from the Kumamoto prefecture of Japan. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm pretty impressed with how you can just say some of these names because I'm glad you're having to say some of them. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> so then let's get into some of these breeds. You talked about four different Wagyu breeds. And so let's talk about the difference. What makes Akaushi breed different from those others? Right. So Akushi, as well as um, the Black Wagyu, we all know that they're known for just really high quality, tender, tasty beef, which we all have. I guess I'm pretty spoiled on it. I've been <laughs> eating it for a while and my two kids have grown up on it and they love Akushi beef. And so uh, besides being known for just marble tender consistent beef um they're also really good in terms of uh important production traits as growth fertility vigor and longevity um these cattle are all over the united states from we have some in wyoming idaho the dakotas all the way to the gulf coast to california hawaii and and also international so the these cattle in terms of production traits and being functional cattle for your 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 operation they do they do very well in in all kinds of environments Mm -hmm. and we are starting to see a little bit more of that Um, of course most of it is going to be in a crossbred situation because we just don't have the size of herds i'm sure there's a few full-bred herds out there probably not many or 15 16th and so forth but we're starting to see a lot of interest in you know putting sires on these commercial type cattle out there is that what you guys are seeing yes sir a lot of people here in in the states do use akushi cattle for more of a terminal cross Um, there are quite a few branded beef programs out there that are sourcing back those akushi sired calves and and really just putting a really good high premium on the on those feeder cattle as as well as fat cattle so a lot of people have those cow bases that are unique and important to their environment that strive in that environment and a lot of people just take those akaushi bulls or, or ai 
uh, sires and use you know semen in the in their breeding programs and and they're able to get generate those f1 calves that are just highly sought after right now mm-hmm. so my question uh, Casey is a little bit is on that are you seeing very much retention of heifers so let's say you have that f1 cross and guys keeping some heifers back and then going back again on on a akushi bowl or a, a, a some sort are you seeing much of that happen or is there pretty much terminal type situation Right. So it really just depends on your your operation goals. Are you more of a terminal operation where you just send everything you know to the feed yard, or are you kind of trying to build up your herd, and especially to those purebreds, um, maybe working up to a pulled purebred, which are which are pretty hot commodity mm-hmm. uh, today. Um, so just depending on what you're doing, um, I have a lot that just sell everything as as feeder cattle. And I do have some of our breeders and, and members that do keep back some females. I think that F1 female is, is very, uh, very well, a very good type female, especially if you're having any type of American cross uh, cow base, it really cleans up their, their udders and their underlines and, and uh, just really helps in adding value to your next generation of those three quarters. And, and if you keep back your, your seven eighths and, and mm-hmm. 15 sixteenths females that you can keep back that are well aware of what's going on in that environment and you're not having to worry about trying to find any other type of replacement females to to live in that environment. Mm -hmm. Casey, I really uh, want to talk a little bit about these calves because I know that's something that people will think about. They're like, okay, maybe they've heard stories. What's the vigor in these boogers? Are they going to get up and go and are they going to handle some of these different environments that we just talked about there? And how are they going to grow out and those kinds of things? Let's talk about these calves and what you're finding so akushi are known for calving ease um a lot of people do use your these bulls on their first calf heifers um knowing that those calves do have value somewhere down uh the chain um instead of using a a corriente or a longhorn especially down here in texas where you would get docked for using that type of a, mm-hmm. a sire not trying to hurt that breed or anything but at least using an akushi that you do have some value in that calf so these calves i've heard from our breeders that they are spunky little things that they are, you know, low birth weight in the 60s to maybe 70, depending on your, your cow age and cow size. So they do hop up their they're vigor, they're, they're thrifty, they're ready to survive. I get all kinds of pictures of these calves being born in the snow and they're getting up. Um, as long as that cow has been able to to maintain her her milking you know milking production and and the cow is getting the right adequate nutrients and stuff that those those calves should grow along just fine. I know a lot of people might worry about their their weaning weights, especially if they're used to a, a charlet type sire. You know we will not be as heavy as that. But as long as that cow is being maintained and, and doing her job, uh, you shouldn't lose any type of a weaning weight that you should be accustomed to. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about demand because we are seeing uh, the from a marketing side of things, from the restaurants, both high-end restaurants and even some fast food chains. What are you seeing? Are we seeing a real pretty good, uh, strong demand showing on this? Oh, yes, sir. It It, it is crazy to see. Um, I started in the Akushi breed in 2009, and here we are, 2023, and uh, the demand has just blossomed and it's, it's exploded. Um, 
from not people, not very many people knowing what the breed is and what they do to, to now where it's these branded beef programs and these other buyers are just basically in these bidding wars, yeah. uh, which is really good for, for the the commercial guy or C-stock guy, you know, they're, they're just having so much value to these calves being able or using Akushi bulls. And I just see the demand staying so strong, especially now that these restaurants are pushing this really high quality beef. And I think that more and more people are going to want to have a better beef eating experience and then that's just going to be more and more increase for Akushi bulls and those calves. Mm-hmm. Well, I know there's been a lot of growth in the breed. Uh, you look back into 1993 when 180 head of cattle came across uh, and then they stopped that from happening anymore. And you guys have grown. I know the association itself, almost 800 ranchers across the U.S. Uh, in 44 different states. If folks want to know more about this, because I, I know there's going to be folks that say, man, I, I'd like to know more. We talked about the website a little bit. Give us more information, what that website is and where they can go to find out more information right well you know we would love to have y'all visit our website it's just www.akaushi.com that's a-k-a-u-s-h-i and we would love to also visit with you Um, all of our contact information is on our website and that'll get you to any type of information that you're looking for the breed history any of uh marketing information. We have a catalog listing where breeders have cattle for sale. Um, Our membership directory is linked onto our website as well as any informational articles that have been written here lately. You bet. Well, there's a lot to learn on it, and it's really interesting information. It's interesting to see how this has continued to grow. And I'm just speaking from my own experience. We've been using Japanese-type cattle on our heifers the last, this is going on year three, and I'm seeing the demand that you're seeing as well, Casey, on that. And I sure appreciate you joining us here today on uh, the Working Ranch Radio Show to give us a little bit more information about the Akaushi Association and the breed. Yes, it's really fun visiting with you. And like I said, if you have any questions about the Akushi or our association, we would love to visit with you. All right. Casey Corrales, Executive Director for the American Akushi Association, joining us here today to give us a little bit more information in our breed spotlight about the Akushi breed. And uh, very interesting, I thought, to get in their website. If you want to find out more, is akaushi.com. That's spelled A-K-A-U-S-H-I. We'll stay with us. Coming up next, meteorologist Don Day joins us as we take a look at our long-term weather when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. Justin Mills here with you as we head now into taking a look at our long-term weather. And joining us is meteorologist Don Day. And Don, as we were talking before before we went on air here, uh, I was kind of scratching my head, where do we start? Because I feel like as we look into this coming week, it's just more of what we've had. And I know something that you have been talking about a little bit in your in your weather video cast is that we are seeing temperatures uh, here for the month of March quite a bit below. 
below average. And I was joking with you about the fact that it's hard for me to figure to, to realize that because it's still warmer than what we had in February. But we are seeing colder temperatures really across the U.S., which, of course, then a lot of things we're seeing more more accumulation of snow, no, no runoff. And then, of course, it's also slowing the growing season as well. Well, it is. I mean, uh, obviously, the the extra sunlight you get this time of year helps, but the green up or the you know the, where we start to get into where we wanted the grasses to start to grow, from the northern plains to the west coast and from British Columbia to Mexico, the the whole western side of North America not only has had a very cold March, but on the whole, since the winter started, it's been far below normal. But we're kind of seeing the epicenter of the coldest temperatures across Montana, Wyoming, up into North Dakota, parts of South Dakota, to where the storm systems that are coming in are mostly still producing snow. We we still got a lot of frozen ground out there. The calving seasons are underway. And you had mentioned at the beginning that it's kind of been like the same weather pattern. Well, you can listen to the podcast two weeks ago, <laughs> yeah. and I'll tell you the same thing I told you two weeks ago, which is more storms for California and, and more unsettled weather uh, coming into the west and the northern plains. Mm-hmm. And with that, one of the things, too, is, is we look at all of this happening and we had talked about it previously as well in looking at the flooding potential that's out there. And now, as you and I were talking before, it's even looking like that potential just keeps going up and up, especially when we're not getting runoff and we're just keep adding more snowpack. That's right. Usually you start to get some melting this time of year that kind of draws down that snowpack. But you start looking at the the snowfall totals that have happened in some of the upper areas of the Midwest. I was talking to somebody last week and parts of it are going between 90 to 100 inches of snow. And so you're, you're talking about getting into some areas where there's a lot of snow to melt. And when spring comes, if it warms up quickly and we get a lot of rain with that, well, from the Northern Plains to the interior West, to the West Coast, you know, we've already had some flooding problems. There's going to be more flooding concerns coming. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the trajectory of these storms, it's continu- it's still continuing to sort of isolate, though, those Southern Plains uh, or Southern part of the country, which is if you were to, to just draw uh, maybe an upside down L, it would include Texas and all the way over to Florida. We're still seeing some pretty dry, hot conditions there. Yeah, the southeast United States has been the opposite. Uh, and that that's what happens when you have these anomalies where you have one area that's really cold next door to that really cold spot. You're going to have where it's the opposite. And that's what's going on in the southern plains and the southeastern areas of the United States. Now, we're seeing some rain that will be coming into the southeastern United States, the eastern part of the southern plains. But Boy, the latest drought monitor that just came out really shows this north-south area of still very bad drought conditions that extend up from central and west Texas, far eastern New Mexico, through Kansas, especially Kansas, uh, then into Nebraska, then the far eastern counties of Wyoming and Colorado are still very much in a drought situation because a lot of these California storms are losing their moisture over the Rockies. And by the time they get to the plains and the Southern plains, there's not as much left over. However, and I, I think we talked about this last week, as we get into the last days of March, as we get into April, we start to see some opportunities for those Southern plains to probably have better chances of beneficial moisture. Uh, hopefully it's going to be in the form of liquid, 
Um, but those areas, I think, are, are going to start to get some benefit from this active pattern that's across the at least the far western areas. Mm-hmm. Let's look a little bit at the Midwest and maybe even further east of there and the Ohio, Tennessee Valley areas because these storms have come down. They've kind of bounced off of the off of the four corners area of the of the southwest and then kind of back up towards the northeast. Are we seeing the precipitation in those areas as well? Yeah, we will. Now, I, I would say that that's one area that we need to watch as we go into spring and summer to see if there's the tendency for maybe some drier conditions to develop. Not saying that's going to happen, but we kind of need to watch it because coming out of a La Nina, we've kind of seen that before in the spring and early summer for that part of the country. But what will happen as we get into April Um, you start to see weather systems speed up and traverse the country fairly quickly. And that's where you tend to get the line of showers and thunderstorms that can kind of come in in a day or two and drop a good amount of rain. And then you have some, you know, good fair weather coming in behind it. So the the drought areas we're most concerned about, the driest areas are still in those southern plains areas. Boy, you look at the the drought status in, in southwest and south central Kansas, southwestern Kansas, um, you know, those that's kind of ground zero right now. Uh, you know, more than 40 percent of California now is out of drought. So what we need to do now is see if we can get some of that California moisture to get over the divide and into the areas that really need it. Yeah. Now. Yeah. I kind of get it shifted a little bit to the east there for, for sure. So, well, Don, I appreciate you joining us here with a look at our long term weather. Thanks for having me. Again, that's meteorologist Don Day with a look at our weather. You can find his website at dayweather.com. And from there is a link to his daily video podcast that he kicks out. It's on YouTube as well uh, that he kicks out every Monday through Friday morning. Stay with us. We'll put a wrap on this week's show when we come back on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Cattle producers, here's a way to put more dollars in your pocket. Put the Amifirm advantage found in all Gain Smart Mineral to work in your cow herd. Amifirm is the industry leader in increasing fiber digestion. In fact, research shows putting Amifirm to work increases forage utilization by 10%, reducing overall forage costs and allowing you to graze more animals per acre. That's a big time return on your investment. To find which Gain Smart Mineral formula is right for your herd, visit Gainsmart.com. Coming up on next week's edition of the Working Ranch Radio Show, we're going to be talking with a couple folks from the Good Grazing Makes Sense program. Now, this is a collaborative effort that is providing some great resources to us as ranchers, and we'll talk about it next week and how you can take advantage and utilize this program for your own operation as well. So be sure to join us next week. By the way, if you want to go back and listen to any previous shows, our website for the show is workingranchradio.com. That's the podcast site you can go back and listen. Now, if you have a question you want to reach out to me, you can send me an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com. By the way, the Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine, branded number one by America's Ranchers. And if you don't have your April, May issue in your hot hands right now, I encourage you to go to the website at workingranchmag.com and you can get your subscription started today. Well, we thank you for joining us here this week. Be sure to join us at the same time, same place, or on your favorite podcast provider. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.